Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Welcome to KCBS In-Depth, a discussion of one of the topics making news this week. This is KCBS In-Depth. The future of California's largest utility was thrown into question this week as it emerged that Pacific Gas and Electric is planning to file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. The math isn't hard to figure out. PG&E could be on the hook for the immense damage caused by the series of devastating wildfires that have taken place over the last few years, with potential liabilities now in the tens of billions. But what is less clear is how this massive shakeup in California's energy sector will unfold as the bankruptcy proceeds. I'm Keith Menconi, and on this edition of In-Depth, We're going to try to get a handle on what consequences the bankruptcy could have on two fronts. First, we're going to take a look at what it'll mean for California politics as lawmakers untangle a web of challenges. There's uh, been discussion about breaking up the utility. When it comes to our engagement with PG&E, it's trust, but dare I say, verify. And then we'll examine growing concern among clean energy developers that the bankruptcy could throw California off its aggressive clean energy targets. Everything is at stake in terms of California's energy future. First up, we're going to start with the politics of all this. And to get a better handle on what this will all add up to, I wanted to take a little walk down memory lane. Because, you know, it's hard to feel like this hasn't all happened before. The $4 billion write-off represents the largest loss in the corporation's history and comes amid bankruptcy proceedings. It's called gaming the market. Louise Rennie says defendants like Enron, Reliant, and PG&E Energy Trading manipulated the... Of course, the last time PG&E went Chapter 11 was back in the spring of 2001, when California was in the throes of an energy crisis precipitated by a failed deregulation scheme. Thousands of people had to go without electricity yesterday in the first rolling blackouts of the state's worsening power shortage. I'm declaring a state of emergency in California. I'm also calling on the legislature to pass legislation to give the state the authority and the resources keep the lights on in California. We expect rotating blackouts in California for about 260 hours over the course of this summer. At the time, KCBS covered every twist and turn of the crisis, including the political fallout. And I will give you two guesses as to who it was providing that coverage for us. KCBS political reporter Doug Sovereign, of course, and he uh, joins us in studio right now. I wasn't even political reporter then. I was just a regular reporter. Just but... among us uh, unwashed masses of reporters. <laughs> Part of the hoi polloi of the reporting staff. Yeah, Mike Sugarman and I covered, boy, did we cover that energy crisis all year long ad infinitum, Yep, including the PG&E bankruptcy, yes. In fact, I went through the archives to hear some of that coverage, and it is extensive, as Doug was alluding to there uh, a moment ago. And among the coverage that you provided uh, was a series of reports called Follow the Money, in which uh, you demonstrated that even as the crisis was unfolding, lobbying money from a number of energy companies was still flowing around 
the halls of Sacramento flowing around state politics from the energy company to politicians. Uh, so let's hear a little bit of that, uh, some of that reporting that you did back in 2001. These are crazy days at the state capitol as the power brokers try to broker a deal for more power with generators who are reluctant to sell it for so much less than the market price. But the generators are freer with their cash when it comes to seeking influence in Sacramento. A KCBS review of the most recent lobbying and campaign finance forms shows Duke, Dynegy, Reliant, Southern and Calpine combining for almost $200,000 in lobbying expenses. On top of that, Reliant cut the governor's campaign a $10,000 check. Duke has given $1,000 contributions to so key states. So bring us back to 2001. It was, uh, as, as it was going through the archives, I, I really got a sense of it was heady times. It was. Funny to hear what I sounded like 18 years ago. We had a different lockout back then, All News 74. Doug Sovereign, KCBS All News 74. Yeah, that was, it was a crisis. I mean, California experimented with deregulation of the energy industry in the late 90s, and it went very, very badly uh, under Governor Gray Davis. And they, they capped um, the retail prices, but they didn't address wholesale prices. A lot of that energy comes from out of state or from out of state companies. So PG&E ended up having to pay more and more to get energy, but could only charge so much for it. And they went, I think it was $9 billion in debt as a, as a result. And precipitated a crisis and there wasn't enough energy. We had rolling blackouts. No TV, refrigeration or lights for upwards of 400,000 PG&E customers today. Just about noon, the first of two waves of rolling blackouts went off without a hitch. Yeah, it really had a, an all-hands-on-deck feel there. And people, you know, there were hours of the day when when um, certain industries and companies would volunteer to cut back their power. We had, well, we, when I was a kid, we called them brownouts. In this case, rolling blackouts, where your power was reduced, and then some of the time you had no power. I mean, it was an extraordinary thing. And there were political ramifications and just day-to-day -day implications for, for people's lives. Uh, and it all kind of fell apart uh, to the point where PG&E declared bankruptcy. We all started to pay a lot more for energy, and the deregulation was uh, rolled back. Right. And what I didn't quite have a sense for before I started uh, looking back on these old tapes is for the 2001 bankruptcy, the bankruptcy was kind of a side story. I mean, really, mm -hmm. the, this was something that was impacting people's day-to-day -day lives really directly. Yeah, the energy crisis itself precipitated the bankruptcy. So the bankruptcy was just sort of one business financial aspect of it that wasn't even the most important thing at the time to a lot of people, unlike now where the bankruptcy is sort of center stage. And it's brought on, obviously, by the wildfires, which still are the main story here, too. But, um, yeah, I mean, we were you know live up at the in Folsom and in Sacramento at the places where they run the power grid and how they're manipulating power. I mean, it was day-to-day -day having someone on the phone telling you the power is going out at this time and, you know, watching hour by hour, we need 49,000 megawatts or kilowatts, whatever it was today, and uh, we better not go over that. And, oh, no, we only have 46,000. I mean, it was day-to-day -day on the radio hearing how much power does the state have and how much are we going to consume? And people being told, turn off your air conditioners at such and such a time or there will be blackouts. It was that level of impact. Want to help prevent blackouts? Put on a sweater. It's going to take everybody making those small efforts that will add up to help us get through this situation. It's the same drill the county instituted during the energy crisis of the late 70s. Ambitious goal of county supervisors here to cut energy use by 20% this year. Other measures under consideration... And so that kind of leads to the real political consequences that unfolded from that real angst and dislocation that people felt in their day-to-day lives, and it took down a governor. It eventually took down a governor, although he was reelected after that. He, uh, the thing about Gray Davis, he had a tough reelection fight that was during his first term in 2002, but he won it. And I think he breathed a sigh of relief and thought, okay, I'm good. 
but then he got recalled anyway a year later for other reasons. The budget, uh, they racked up a huge state deficit, um, and he had uh, promised, he raised the, the vehicle license fee, which Governor Schwarzenegger successfully, or not governor yet at that time, uh, dubbed the car tax. So Davis went back on a number of things and raised fees and taxes, which people didn't like, and was sort of naked in his uh, political way of doing things. And also, there was this pay-to-play aspect. Of course, he denied there was a quid pro quo, but he was, as we reported there, accepting donations from the very people he was negotiating with, and it looked bad. Whether his decisions were actually influenced by the money he was taking, it looked to voters as if it was. So, on all fronts, his support just sort of fell apart, and he was recalled, and Arnold Schwarzenegger took his place. The the energy crisis itself wasn't the, the final factor precipitating that, but it was one of several that sort of steamrolled and made him look like a weak leader. So at that time, the political leaders of California were faced with, uh, as as you've said, un- unwinding this very uh, bad decision to uh, deregulate the energy market. It was uh, a massive challenge at the time. Now, there are still challenges for the state's political leaders. On the one hand, they need to make sure that the uh, victims of the various fires are compensated. Mm-hmm. They need to make sure that uh, rate payers, our, our rates don't skyrocket or something at uh, some point. And then they also have uh, future goals for California's energy market. They want to make sure that that energy market is evolving and growing into a, a more cleaner portfolio and that we're meeting our various uh, climate goals. So what would you say uh, political leaders now should take away as they face these current challenges uh, from those challenges back 2001, 2000 through 2004 or so? Well, there are a few things that are different. For one thing, we have a much more robust energy supply than we did then. There's no shortage of energy. They made a lot of reforms to the system uh, to keep the problems that sort of cascaded them from happening again. Uh, we have much more renewable energy in our portfolio. I mean, green energy was a thing then, but not to the point you didn't see solar panels on all your neighbor's roofs, for example. Uh, there's less of a drain on the grid because a lot of people are generating their own power. Um, so there are things that have changed. And in this case, it is a financial decision, as it was then, by PG&E, perhaps not even necessary then, and maybe not necessary now, depending who you talk to. So uh, for, for the politicians, I think, Governor Newsom, first and foremost, since he's the one on the front line, you have to remember to at least make it look like, and actually do it if you can, that you're more concerned about the people than the corporations, that you're not taking the money from these players, that you are that you have the back of those wildfire victims and that you're going to make sure they are whole no matter what PG&E does and that you you know it's easier now to paint the corporation as a villain and and um actually mean it than back then where maybe there was some double dealing going on so I do think you have to make sure people believe that you are on their side and not on the side of the corporations, it's easier for Gavin Newsom now than it was for Gray Davis then, who had already taken so much money from all these utility and power companies. So I think that's the most important, just optically political thing. Uh, and you know, uh, you, you have to be tough and make sure that um, the PUC, you know, he gets an appointment, Governor Newsom, to the California Public Utilities Commission. You put the right people in charge. Our rates went up so much after that energy crisis because. To, to help cover PG&E's bankruptcy and all the debt they had to pay, we paid billions more on our electric and gas bills than we did before the energy crisis. Well, th- that's not something people are going to stand for now, and I think the politicians know that. And you know, those who don't follow the past are doomed to repeat it. I believe is the if you ignore the past, you're doomed to repeat it. Whatever mm-hmm. you're good at correcting at me when I get these things wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, 
If you can't remember the quotes, you're uh, doomed to something. <laughs> to get them wrong. Well, just uh, let's handicap this in the years going forward. Some people are calling this the biggest challenge facing Governor Newsom as he starts his term as governor. And, you know, it, it, if it didn't take down Greg Davis, it at least destabilized his governorship. Is this something that could destabilize the governorship of Gavin Newsom, even, you know, we're, we're still in very early days? Yeah, right out of the gate. Sure. But as he pointed out, and he seemed relatively calm about all this, he started his tenure as governor with multiple crises. You've got FEMA threatening to pull wildfire assistance money. You've got a teacher strike in Los Angeles, maybe one coming in Oakland. And then you've got PG&E declaring bankruptcy, the state's largest utility. That is a lot on someone's plate for the first week or two of their gubernatorial regime. So, sure, if you don't handle things like that, a lot of this has to do with the public image. If they think you're not a strong leader and you're not looking out for their interests, you can lose their their support awfully quickly. So he's got to handle all of these, and it's difficult. Uh, and, you know, that, that's the challenge he faces. Time to shine, I guess. You're listening to In-Depth on KCBS. I'm Keith Mancone. So that was a look at the ghost of bankruptcy past, helping us get a better handle on bankruptcy present. Now, though... We are going to turn our attention to California's future, and there, we've got to talk about another big difference between 2001 and 2019, that being SB 100. That's the law that passed last year, and it sets the target of 100% renewable power in California by 2045, part of California's commitment to reduce its climate emissions. It's a target that will take an aggressive expansion of California's renewable energy sector. But now, this latest bankruptcy is throwing all that into question. We need to make sure PG&E does not backslide on its clean energy obligations. It's the largest utility in California. Um, we need to get to 100% renewable energy, and PG&E, or whatever succeeds it, needs to be part of that equation. For more on how California's green energy sector is likely to weather the coming storm, I spoke with Sammy Roth. He's an energy reporter for the Los Angeles Times who's been covering this issue. He says when it comes to those aggressive clean energy goals, well, we've already come a long ways. Right now we're at about a third of the electricity in the state comes from renewable sources. So that's solar, wind, uh, mostly solar and wind, but also geothermal and uh, small hydropower and some others. And in order to, to keep going and get to first uh, 60% renewable by by uh, 2030, which is the next big target, and then 100% carbon-free by 2045, um, it's going to require a lot of different things. Uh, probably a lot more solar and wind, um, probably some form of renewable energy and or storage that can provide electricity when the sun isn't shining or the wind isn't blowing. So so things like perhaps uh, batteries or geothermal or, uh, you know, sort of new technologies. Um, and it's going to require a lot of uh, you know, changes perhaps to how people use electricity, what what times of day we run uh, certain appliances, uh, charging electric vehicles, um, you know, all, all sorts of complicated things that need to fit together to get there. And so a lot of work, as you're pointing to right there, what role do utilities such as PG&E or some of the other large utilities in California, what role are they playing and likely to play going forward? So, so far, the the big utilities have played a, a pretty significant role because, I mean, the way the, the renewable energy mandate has worked so far has essentially been the state uh, ordering uh, PG&E and, and Southern California Edison and San Diego Gas and Electric to go buy increasing amounts of uh, renewable energy. 
so these are these are big companies. They can sign these uh, big long-term contracts. Um, you know, uh, lenders and and developers sort of trust them to be able to pay off uh, the costs of these projects over time. Um, so sort of the the financial wherewithal of of PG and E and the other uh, private monopoly utilities has has been a, a big reason why there has been steady progress so far. That doesn't necessarily mean that has to be the case in the future, but uh, generally the strategy the state has been pursuing with with ramping up these targets has been. Uh, you know, assuming that there will continue to be utilities there that can sign these contracts. And when we're talking about these contracts, are the biggest issues that we're talking about uh, energy providers? Like, are we talking about solar farms and wind farms, or are there other technologies and developments that we should keep in mind, too? Yeah, I mean, I think energy storage is one of the other big ones. Uh, I mean, solar, you know, is, is there during the day, wind is there when the wind is blowing, but there is increasing as you bring more of these things onto the power grid, uh, an increasing need for uh, ways to store those uh, types of energy, so lithium-ion batteries or maybe pumped uh, hydropower storage, um, all sorts of things that also will, will require significant investment that uh, the utilities, among others, are are starting to do. Um, and I guess another another important one would be uh, electric vehicle chargers uh, is a place where, where the utilities have, have started to make some fairly significant investments. All right. So a lot of things being worked on there, a lot of things that PG&E is involved with. How might that all be thrown into question uh, if, you know, things go awry during the course of PG&E's uh, upcoming bankruptcy? I, I mean, the, the, the simple, you know, question is... Uh, are our investors and lenders going to be able to uh, trust PG&E to to meet obligations over time? And if you know, if, if people look at PG&E now and think it's not going to be able to meet its obligations, we're not going to you know get our money back. Um, depends on what happens in the bankruptcy, of course. But you know, it's it's just going to make it uh, potentially less likely that that PG&E will be able to do those kinds of things in the future. And of course, the thing that's that sort of brought PG&E to the the brink of um, bankruptcy here is these wildfire costs. And while in some ways uh, they face uh, you know more significant wildfire risk than the other utilities in the state because of the nature of, of the areas that they serve, um, this is certainly a, a, a challenge that's confronting the other utilities as well. So there's a worry that, that um, you know, these problems could spread. Just to get even a little bit more specific, so could there come a point where it's a judge, the bankruptcy judge, that is deciding which of these contracts uh, PG&E is going to be honoring and which of those contracts need to be renegotiated? That, that's absolutely right. I mean, I, I think something that people in the renewable energy industries are, are very worried about right now is what's going to happen to these existing contracts that PG&E has, um, many of which were signed when solar uh, power especially was more expensive than it is now. Um, so it's possible a bankruptcy court judge could look at that and say, oh, well, you know, they could get cheaper solar on the market right now. Let's uh, let's shave uh, you know some of the payments to these uh, these project owners and distribute that money to other parties in, in the bankruptcy proceeding. And and if that's the case, you know that's that's something that's definitely going to uh, you know put a uh, create worry for people investing in renewable energy projects going forward. Is that just going to happen to us eventually? All right, and uh, we're going to let it end on that note. We were speaking to Sammy Roth. He is an energy reporter for the Los Angeles Times. Sammy Roth, thank you so much. You're welcome. NRDC during the last major utility bankruptcy in California, which happened in 2001 with PG&E. That's Ralph Cavana, Energy Co-Director with the Natural Resources Defense Council, 
an environmental advocacy group based in New York. I can tell you there are no winners in bankruptcies for utilities except the bankruptcy lawyers. And he also sees this bankruptcy as a threat to California's clean energy investments. For everyone else, utility customers, all participants in the clean energy transition, and today wildfire victims, all of them are worse off because of the uncertainty about whether payments are going to get made, whether contracts are going to be honored. There is a great deal to sort through in this bankruptcy proceeding, and those who care about the clean energy transition, those who care about affordable and reliable service, will need to make sure they're part of that discussion, that it's not just left to the bankruptcy lawyers. I spoke to him to get an advocate's eye view of what the bankruptcy will mean for California's clean energy goals. And what Kavana is really worried about is that scenario that we mentioned a second ago, the notion that a bankruptcy judge could be the one making important decisions about PG&E's clean energy investments. The key decision maker in a bankruptcy is a federal bankruptcy judge, not the state utility regulators, not the state legislature, not all the people who traditionally steer California's energy future. And one of the reasons we want to keep our utilities out of bankruptcy in the future is so that we don't cede that autonomy and control to federal bankruptcy judges. And how big give us give us a sense of what kinds of disruptions this would cause if it were to happen that a judge decides you know maybe that solar plant or or that wind farm is not going to get the level of payment that they originally signed up for with PG&E right or maybe those low income customers aren't going to get the targeted energy efficiency programs they're used to or the bill assistance they're used to or maybe we'll stop doing energy efficiency at the same level If we cut back on all of those fronts, we will greatly diminish the chances of reaching our climate and clean energy goals. We'll also be making energy less affordable and less reliable. So everything is at stake in terms of California's energy future. Now, we heard from Gavin Newsom, the new governor, earlier this week that, well, to hear him tell it, he says that California is committed to these climate goals. And uh, I believe what he said was based on what he knows now, this bankruptcy should not throw California off. Do you think that he has a a reason to be as confident as he is? He's right to set that as our objective. And I think it's fair to say that in the 2001 to 2004 bankruptcy, we weren't thrown off course in the end. We were successful in protecting California's essential clean energy investments. And when PG&E came out of bankruptcy, it was able to double down on clean energy investment. But it is going to take a lot of work to get there. We can't take for granted that the federal bankruptcy judge who presides over this case is going to share all of California's clean energy objectives. And it will be very important to make sure that a whole lot of people are working together to realize the governor's very well-justified ambition here. And I think that that's why it's important to do this kind of interview so early in the process to kind of give people a sense of where the potentials are and where work might need to be done. Uh, Who are the folks that would be working on this and what would that work look like? In a typical utility bankruptcy, what you've got is an arcane forum run by rules no one understands, presided over by very high-priced bankruptcy experts and lawyers. And somehow we've got to find a way to make this proceeding more than that, uh, to bring in voices that can articulate the importance of the clean energy agenda, the customer interests, the reliability and affordability interests. The legislature has a role in that. The governor does in opening the process up. 
But again, we want to avoid this wherever possible in the future because the state of California won't control the outcomes here. That will be in the hands of a federal bankruptcy judge. Another uh, point that I want to put to you is a lot of local governments, including many uh, city governments, are backing their own energy providers at this point. A number have already gone online in the Bay Area. Uh, I believe one is going online in L.A. soon. Another one is, uh, I think, San Jose's San going on. San Diego. Um, so what role could they play in picking up the slack if maybe some of this investment dries up from PG&E? Well, our community choice aggregators, our community-based uh, electricity providers, are an increasingly important part of California's electricity future. But they're not a substitute for the hometown utilities. They don't run the distribution grids. They aren't in the same kind of orchestra conductor role that the electric distribution companies like PG&E are continuing to play. They have a role. They are not tied up in this bankruptcy. They will continue to operate. But they will be harmed, like everyone else involved with PG&E, by the increased electric bills that are likely to result from a bankruptcy proceeding. And they have a stake, like everybody else connected with PG&E and the other electric utilities, in reforming the unworkable liability rules that got us into this pickle in the first place. All right, let's pick up on that point. So I think that that is a point that uh, many of our listeners would, uh, at, at least at first blush, probably disagree with you on. Uh, a lot of folks would would hear uh, what you're saying in terms of liability for PG&E and say, you know, this is a company that has been associated with a number of uh, high-profile disasters over the last several years, and they want accountability. So wh- why is the form of accountability that uh, California is asking for right now not appropriate in your view? Accountability is, a for, is appropriate. I think most people would agree when someone has done something wrong. I completely agree that if utilities have behaved negligently or unreasonably, they should pay the price. But what people need to understand about our wildfire liability rules is that you don't have to show that PG&E or any other electric utility has behaved negligently or unreasonably in order to assign it effectively the entire cost of a wildfire. That's what I'm pushing back on, and I think many Californians would join me in that, however they feel about PG&E. Right. Those are the inverse condemnation rules. So you're saying essentially we should, at least in the case of the campfire where liability has not been determined yet, uh, we should we, we would hope that that liability will only be ascribed to them if it's determined that they were negligent in some way. And that is that should be true. Generally, this is not just about PG&E. It should be true of all of California electric utilities. If you don't establish a negligence or a reasonableness rule, if you continue to insist on strict liability for our electric utilities, you're not going to compensate wildfire victims. You're going to create more bankruptcies where no one wins and where bankruptcy, where wildfire victims are just at the end of a long line of other creditors chasing inadequate funds. That's no way to compensate wildfire victims. All right. Stepping back from uh, that specific issue, uh, let's just wrap things up by, if you could, uh, give us your perspective on where we're headed at this point in terms of our ability to attain that uh, 100% clean energy goal by 2045. Uh, Are are we more or less on track? Is it attainable? It is entirely attainable, and I want to close this interview on an optimistic note. We're going to get there. I lived through, like many Californians, the last PG&E bankruptcy from 2001 to 2004, and we were able, on the whole, to retain the utility's ability to be a, a strong clean energy partner We stayed on track toward continuous improvement in environmental performance and affordability. We will find a way to do that again. We will get through this. But we need to make sure that this kind of bankruptcy doesn't become the new normal for California utilities. All right. And on that note, we're going to close things out. We've been speaking to Ralph Cavana. Ralph, thank you very much. Thanks for your call. 
You've been listening to KCBS's In-Depth. Tune in again next week as we bring you another deep dive into one of the pressing news topics we've been covering throughout the week. Or head on over to kcbsradio.com. There you'll find past episodes of the show, many with expanded bonus content we didn't have time to include on air. For KCBS and In-Depth, I'm Keith Manconi, and I'll see you next time. You've just heard KCBS In-Depth, a news interview program for all news 740 and FM 106.9 KCBS. You're listening to KCBS All News 74. All news, all the time. Cloudy and cooler today. Showers beginning in the North Bay, spreading over the Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 